Hello, podcast listeners, people out there all over the planet. It's lovely to have you back with us again and for us to be joining you in your ears. We always welcome the privilege of it, whatever you happen to be doing at this particular moment. There's a little piece of me that hopes you're outside somewhere, like walking a dog or something. But you know, equally, we'll join you in your car. You know, we'll join you to do the washing up. It's all good to us. We are incredibly happy and lucky to have our friend and mentor, Tolka Muller, with us today. I've known Tolka since I was probably in my early 20s when we met in a castle in Slovenia. Castle Ball, I think, is where we first met. And then since then, Tolka, you've, of course, been a massive influence on my life, but also the development of the outside. So it's, it's, it's delicious to have you with us, you know. And then the other day, I think, I, I can't remember whether it was in the preparation for this call or it was when you and I chatted and you were talking about this coming off COVID and doing one of the first big gigs you had done for a while. And I remember, and it, it stuck with me, you said to me that you were unsure if you could become the magic still. And then you got in the room and sure enough, it was there and flowing through you. And I just remember you saying that and it struck me. So I just wonder if, you know, by way of introduction <laughs> to yourself, you could just talk about becoming the magic. What does that mean to you? Well, thank you, Tim. Thank you, Tuesday to be with you in this little exploration. Mm. You know, I've found that there's probably many kinds of magic, and then there is real magic. And to me, when I experience how life flows, how I can be in the moment, just present, as the moment unfolds, somehow this becoming the moment and allowing what Nature in that moment, in that context, in that reality flows through me, flows through us, whoever are there, tuned in to this resonance, this slower pace, but always moving kind of pace. Slow, but there's no stopping. When that, those things come together, and it's like you can't force it, you can't, if you try to fake it or make it happen, you know, it doesn't happen. So it's it's more a, a, a way of letting go and trusting that that flow is, re- is there. It's invisible, certainly has something to do with being in the rhythm of my breathing. And, you know, we, we have experienced this, that sometimes when we tune in with each other, it's almost like the motion going on, though you have your breath, I have mine, but there's a rhythm. And to me, that is the exquisite experience of being with the life force. And for a long time, I thought that this would be something that only I could experience in, in very spiritual context or in predefined, ritualized ways. And slowly through my life, I've discovered that all of that is actually in the way. <laughs> the simplicity of focusing into the moment allowing myself to be aware of as the breath comes in, the breath goes out, and then it comes in again, and then it goes out again, and then it comes in again, and then it goes out again. And there's no stopping it. Well, stopping it means death. And imagine this activity is happening to every living thing, every moment across the planet. And we fail to see, appreciate, and give our attention to it. We deem it to be insignificant. When I began to understand that this is the most natural thing, this is not spiritual, it's not a religious, it's not a matter of believing in it. It's something I can experience firsthand. And that's a big thing. It's not a thing of my mind. It's, it's like the heart, the life force in me can experience the life force as it comes, as it breathes me. And in that simplicity, I realized, of course, I should take this to work, not just for spiritual retreats or getting high, but that if I want to be with the real change, the real shifting into something better, what about trusting the universe and the nature of how everything unfolds every moment? Oh, I've so much I could ask you about the evocativeness that it's breathing you. Like I, I want to stay there, but maybe I'll 
I mean, I want to ask about that, but I want to, I want, maybe I'll back up Toka, you know, because we have, we have shared experience. We have shared work experience. We have some shared life experience together. I was looking at pictures earlier this weekend and like you were in a lot of those pictures, Toka, right? So we, we have some shared experience together. Mm-hmm. We might make an assumption together, but I would love to hear you say why it matters that we're connected to that life force. Why does it matter for us as human beings? Why does it matter for leaders? Why does it matter in our work that we would be connected to to life force? <laughs> Maybe because we are. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. I love that answer, Mr. Muller. That's great. This is the power of our thinking machine. Our incredible ability to think and create with this brain, with this, our computer. Its purpose is to think clearly and guide us in the day-to-day life on planet Earth with all the many, many things we do every day. It's like if you take the computer out of the Tesla, it won't, it won't drive, you know, if you take, so, so we need that thing. But the life force is breathing us. It is, you know, why is it called life force? Because it is the life force. Why don't I like to call it God or Allah or, or, or the enlightenment or all of those things? Because they are interpretations. Whereas the life force is that the breath comes, it doesn't matter what I'm thinking. And actually, you would have these experiences yourselves, that there are moments when you are, you realize that you just exist. You're not having that little thinking machine telling you, oh, that's a lamp, and I like it. There's no judgment there. It's just oneness with what's flowing. So why is it important? Now, we are in an incredible predicament as a human species. Many of us have lived quite unconsciously. Maybe all of us have lived quite unconsciously for a long time and not really understood our effect upon planet Earth itself and all the other families, you know, all the other life of which we are just one. And we are trying to make things better, find different, you know, leadership forms. We are trying to to explore different government systems. We are trying to collaborate and create organizations that would allow us to collaborate as a human species. And I think all of those efforts are necessary in our evolution. But what I came to understand and choose and choose every day more and more consciously now is that if we really want to change and become sustainable ourselves, what could be better than just become ourselves and be, you know, our own nature and trust that we can live less with less interpretation, less judgment, and just live in that experience as little kids. You know, I think we're all born in the here and now. And then we think ourselves into a some kind of imaginedness we call future, we call past, and we lose. And it's a shift, certainly. It's, is it a, a worldview shift? Maybe it is. Is it a paradigm shift? Maybe it is. It's, a, it's an understanding of how things are. That when this body of mine came out of Khan, my mom, Something took place that made me, the breath came in, and then I was alive. And in some years, I'll go. And what determines it is the breath, whether I'm alive or not. So what if the breath is the life force? And this I have become now sure of. I don't believe it anymore. I don't just hear other people speak of it. But I know that I carry, my life force carries me, and I can be carried by it. And the interesting thing is you experience clarity and simplicity, calm, centeredness, peaceful, the ability to practice peace when conflict invites you to fight back. Because it's, you know, it can become a love affair with a life force or that, you know, you would say, I hesitate to call it anything, even life force. The labeling machine is waiting to create another interpretation. And so it's really, it's a fantastically interesting thing that imagine that we all have that kind of most deepest nature, life itself, and we, we can stumble on it. We can, you know, we can somehow, I imagine it would be nice, but we can also experience it. 
And when I'm experiencing it, then I know that you are being kept alive in the same rhythm as me. And so the connectivity, the acceptance, the respect, the love that I can have to other life is becoming real. It's felt in the deepest part of my body. Two things occur to me that I'd love to just run by the both of you. And one is that just on a super personal level, me and my wife have started doing this thing instead of just like immediately falling into an old pattern of conflict about something like the dishes or like, you know, how many plugs there are for the number of Christmas lights on our Christmas tree. I'm like, why are there three plugs for the lights on my Christmas tree? I don't understand it. Can we not have them in one plug? So we've been working with a couple, a couple therapists and he's brilliant and he's just helping us find our way into the kind of third stage of our relationship, if you like, in this period of our lives. And but he has this lovely thing where he's just like, stop, breathe, think. (laughs) Stop, breathe, and then ask yourself, what do I want out of this evening? What do I want out of this moment? And so there's something about that ability to like stop and breathe and then consider you know what I mean? That I, that I just, it just feels very, very true, like right in the middle of my most intimate relationships, let alone in relationship to myself. But where am I most triggered? Oh, it's with my partner, definitely. It's like, that's the last place that my evolution lands. <laughs> it lands in my work first, and then it makes its way into my family and in my community. And then finally, in my relationship, it gets better. I don't know how it works for you guys. And so that really struck me, you know, this like stop, breathe, think. And then I think about, how that has, how a process like that has served me professionally. The amount of times I've been in meetings or been in places where actually to stop and breathe before responding as a host, as a facilitator, as someone providing strategic counsel, as someone helping someone think out something of a scale and a scope that they haven't considered before or we haven't considered before together. That ability to go back to breath feels important. And you can feel it when that happens collectively too. When that isn't just like a personal experience, but something happens in a room and like the room becomes present. And like Tuesday, you know, the opening chapter you have with Gabe in the book, in the book that's coming out, like you and Gabe, Tuesday and Gabriel Tolka just wrote a chapter for a book. And it starts off with a very short description of an experience we had in a room of what, 40, 50 people who were right in the middle of a fundamentally intractable problem of 150 years in the making. But something happened in that moment where suddenly everybody was there and something became possible because everybody was there. And so I think there's an individual practice of like, stop, think, breathe. (laughs) That's really helpful in my relationship, you know? But I think there's something about creating the conditions for that to happen collectively that unleashes our potential to solve what might otherwise be impossible problems. Now, I think it would be interesting at this moment to just bring in what you were speaking and put a little bit more light on it. And that is, you know, there is experience and there's practice. It seems to be so that in how nature works, there are some basics in nature. One is what we focus on will grow. We have an immense, you know, our, our, our attention right. is a lightsaber. And if we put it to something, it will grow. And the other is what we practice, we will become. And what you were just bringing in from your, your, your little helper there, to me is what I would name a beautiful stop, breathe. And what was the third? Think or just consider. Yeah. You know? Reflect. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the many, many practices of peace that we can practice individually. And so I think there is practice and then there's different practices and then there are quality practices and then there are practices that would take us away from ourselves or take us towards fighting with other people because we get lost. So I'm looking always for practices that will help me be more conscious, more awake in the moment, because that gives me the power to choose to stop. And if I'm not conscious, I can't, you know, you remember our, what we have practiced many times together, this Aikido move that, you know, the opportunity to become egotistic, to lose yourself in your own anger comes at us. And then there's a beautiful move. We, you walk towards the person, but to the side. That is a choice. And I think this is what you're pointing at. And then to the next level of it is that 
as we begin to know how to be conscious enough so we can choose kindness, peace, love, respect, and not just hope for it or quote somebody, but actually in the moment could choose to, oh, I just want to love my wife. I really just want to have a fantastic time. Right. And in, instead of, you know, replying back, stop, breathe, reflect, give her a hug, you know, <laughs> tell her you love her. Is it really worth the fight over the Christmas lights to ruin the evening? It's not, because what do I want is a really lovely evening together. So like Christmas lights or whatever. But then you take it to the collective level, as you were pointing at. This is where you can become more powerful in the sense of bringing gentle life power to a situation. And I think this is happening in the world now. Millions of us, it's not like a few enlightened people, but millions of us are learning by our daily practices how to be more conscious. And as we begin then to come together and however, whatever we each practice to become more conscious, but when we are awake in the moment and we can be having clear clarity enough to focus on the collective purpose, a beautiful evening or solve a problem that has created suffering for 150 years. Yeah. And I think that ability and both must coexist. It cannot just be the collective, cannot just be the individual. Right. If we are going to actually live better together or live in joy, the imminent existing potential for being in harmony with each other, not being of the same opinion about things, but to actually just harmonize. I think this is the experience that you guys were trying to describe. Hmm. And that that's an untapped potential to the extent that it's worth, you know, I think that's so exciting. But again, you can't get, it has to stay with that natural flow and rhythm. So it, it will grow. You know, look where we started, even introducing a participatory methodology. Right. 25 years ago, people thought we were crazy. Crazy. Like it was fringe. It was fringe. Remember, just like having those early art of hosting trainings and like we were the nutters on the edge. And now, now it's embedded everywhere. That's worth celebrating and, and also trusting. And this just gives me more trust that actually there is a way, but it's not the true way. But the way is, you know, they, they call it the Tao or the, the, that that can allow the opposites to begin to dance harmoniously, coexist. Those are the practices that I look for and I practice with, I find them, and I would suggest other people to f find their Tao, because as it arises, then suddenly we can begin to become an orchestra that creates music and then solving problems becomes a joyful, certainly painful uh, to witness all the stupidity that we have committed through the ages. But on the other hand, not to be drowning in despair, which is too easy in the world. Yeah, I often think um, like despair is a luxury or an indulgence, right? There's just too much goodness. There's too much to do. You know, I, I not that I can never feel despair. I see images, I see pictures, I worry for my son, like all those things. But I, I find that for me, despair feels like self-indulgence. And not because I have to get up and do something, but because it's actually not, I don't know how to say this. I don't know. It just, it's, it doesn't feel as if it honors all of the good things that are happening too. That's like, and I know that that's my orientation, right? Like my orientation is toward goodness and to look for that and to like what you look at grows. That really fits for me. And I wanted to ask the two of you, because as we're talking about this, I can even hear our pace of conversation is slow. We're all breathing. We're all here. And I'd love to hear you, Toka, talk a little bit about the urgencies that we're facing, some of the crises that we're facing that push and poke and prod us to speed up, to deal with it now, 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 and not that there aren't actions to take now, 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 but I would just love to hear. Uh, one of the things I'm thinking also in the book chapter that Gabe and I just wrote was like, you know, you know, there's that, that Martin Luther King quote about the, the arc of history is long, but it bends toward justice, right? That there's, that that is happening. We are getting better. More justice is happening. It's, we, we need to take a long view sometimes to see it. And then there's another quote we use that is from a, an attorney general here who says, yes, but we're responsible for bending it, right? We can trust that it's long and it's happening, but we still have that responsibility. And so I'd love to just hear a little bit around 
what you're saying about presence and being in flow, I can just feel that it requires, and I know that it requires a slowing down. And I know that Tim and I in our work all the time come right up against people saying, yes, but it has to change now. Yes, but it's urgent. Yes, people are dying. Yes. And I just would love to hear you speak to that a little bit. We could ask the question, what's the price to become the flow? To respect the flow so much, to love the flow so much that I can have a determination not to act unconsciously in important matter. You know, you get an email, there's some complication there, you know you, you want to answer it, but you're not in the place to answer it. And you know that, that little voice, that little conscience in me <laughs> would say, wait, you know, sleep on it. And if it's very complicated, you know, I might sleep on it a couple of nights. But then at one point, I just feel here's the clarity. Or I may discuss it with my partner and find clarity. And then I know that from that clarity, I can act. And, but I think the price, coming back to the the price is that I give up the urgency to save the world. Because that in itself, that assumption in itself, that obligation in itself becomes a barrier for me to actually not create more problems with trying to solve a problem. You know, there's that beautiful little saying, what if it's not about solving problems, but rather it's about practicing peace or practicing kindness or practicing generosity or practicing just loving from the heart and not through the mind. We're full of desires, but just let our love flow. But, you know, it's probably why there has to be that individual journey because you can get lost in a group and then the group will begin to put pressure on itself to act unwisely because the problem is so urgent and people are dying or people are hungry. If I can do something about it or we can do something about it, we do it. If we can't do something about it, it doesn't help to be bogged down by the fear that I'm not doing enough. And so I think this is where practicing understanding and practicing and seeking wisdom, how life really is, is to me what wisdom is, not you know nice quotes, but how, how life unfolds naturally, the ceremony of life, not the ritual of life. As we seek this, and I think this is, you know, as I said earlier, there's something about now millions of us are beginning to get it. At least even that we are talking at this moment about these kind of questions. For so long, it was like over here, you got, you know, spiritual self-realization and you know, old hippies and, you know, all these inter- And then you have real work is over here and they had nothing to do with each other. But they've got everything to do with each other because we are one thing. We just think we are two. We, we separate out. So what's the price and how easy it is to get in? Can we convince another person to not fall for the urgency? Or how would we inspire others? And then I think, you know, we may share an understanding that says by doing it ourselves. Mm. I also think about, you know, the price for entering the flow, maybe surrendering our urgency or surrendering that we're going to solve it or save everyone, you know, but also like, what's the price of not entering the flow? What is the price of choosing to stay with how things are? What is the cost of that? What is the cost to human life? What is the cost in the perpetuation of suffering? You know, so there's a piece of me, I'm like, what is the price of not choosing to enter into the flow or not choosing to become conscious and centered as I make decisions? What is the price of not stopping thinking and reflecting individually, collectively? You know, whether that's the nice peaceful evening with my wife or the argument that ruins the evening for both of us, or whether it's an institution that continues to marginalize and exclude the very people it was set up to serve. At whatever level of scale, the price of not entering the flow, the price of not becoming present, stop, breathe, think, you know, that just struck me too, like the, you know. And then the other thing I wondered also about was like, look, Tolka, mate, you are a manifester and you have been ever since I met you. And it's one of the things that drew me to you. 
not just your ability to be present, but your ability to get shit done, to make things happen. I remember when I first met you, I think you were one of the first people who were like, well, Tim, you know, like being present and charismatic is not enough. You have to be professional if you want to make it in this world. <laughs> Do you remember that stuff? I mean, literally, I think you were, you were one of the first guys who were like, look, man, you know, it's lovely. Like, I know, I know you've got long curly hair and like, you know, and like, you're pretty good looking as a young guy and like, sure, you got all the charisma, but you got to be professional here, buddy. I think the danger of like centering into flow or centering into this kind of stopping and reflecting is, is that can be misinterpreted as not acting, as not manifesting. And like all three of us are manifestors here. Like Tolka, you've been part of manifesting a global network of thousands and thousands of people that has massively advanced the delivery of participatory leadership all over the world, every single continent. You've manifested the flow game. You've manifested warrior of the heart training, which is an embodiment practice for leaders. You've manifested incredible change work within the European Commission. I could list a million other things that you have manifested. And I'm, I'm resisting saying made happen because I think you're going to say something about, you know, how like you just tuned into the flow of life and then it happened to you. But there's an element of that that's not damn well true. There's an element of you that led it, that stepped up to take responsibility in the face of an opportunity that saw a wave and had the courage to get on the surfboard to ride it and invited others to join you. And so like, what's the other edge of this? What's the edge of this, which is about responsibility, which is about leadership, which is about manifesting, which is about bringing something to life at the speed it wants to happen, not at the speed I want to make it happen. Mm. Thank you for that, Mira. <laughs> and I was laughing, uh, joy. I just felt this bubble of joy in me because if it is so that it is very possible, what we have talked about through this whole conversation, that we can become the flow. It's not an experience. We are the flow. This body is the planet. You know, we are dust. Then all the qualities of the life force will be there. When I was young, I was more attracted to read the Indian Upanishads than the Bible. I didn't quite understand organized religion. But in the, in the Upanishads, the old, old, thousand years old writings by some people who have found some wisdom in India, they talk about these powers, you know, and they would give it. So there's the creator, the sustainer, and the destroyer. And then in the Hindu religion, they have... Mm. You know, they're giving them gods and names and everything. But if you just boil it down to walking in nature and you see a plant come up and it becomes a tree and then one day it falls. Creation, sustaining destruction or transformation back to dust. So <laughs> how does that translate into a human being who wants to be a, of service to planet Earth? whose heart just wants to be helpful. Then certainly not enough to just seek your own, hide in your spiritual practice. If it works, sustain it. <laughs> Make it work in the world. And I think, you know, if we would use another metaphor of the midwife and the warrior, that energy to manifest that we all witness each other and we see we have it. It's a gift. Yeah. It's a gift of, the, of, of how nature works, but not to take too much pride in it, not to get lost in your own ego of what you manifested and my legacy and all of that, but just being a servant of that life force. It's true. I'm, you know, sometimes Monica and I, as we walk, we, we remember something we have been part of. Now we are in our end of our, you know, this is the last chapter. And I have friends dying now uh, every year. Something else will go, and eventually I will go, and I'm preparing myself for it. I feel like I can witness what has manifested, create what is needed, sustain it, amplify it, and when it doesn't use anymore, let it go. Hmm. But then there is this thing that I think we need to also bring in, is the building of capacity to build more capacity, to build more capacity, or to reproduce 
the practices in the next generations, next generations. In the mirror you just brought up, Tim, what I truly enjoy witnessing about my own life is that I've been somehow able, with many others of my mates, you guys included, to just keep on practicing and invite other people to practice. Or if they came with good practices and incorporated, if it worked, if it sustained. And now somehow these three networks that I've been part of evolving, some of them are one network and some are different, but they live by the practice of the next generations. And I think this is part of what how nature does it too. So if we, from where we started our conversation, as we begin to see that living with the life force is not getting lost in a spiritual samadhi thing, it, it, it's just being natural. And as we are natural, then we have all the power of nature manifesting through us in gentle ways, in small ways, sometimes in big ways, sometimes in that moment, you know, when Gandhi was waiting and fasting for one year or something to bring down the empire or to bring, you know, separate India from, from the English, uh, British Empire. And he, he knows the strategy. He, he will go and make salt, but he's waiting for the right moment. <laughs> and everybody's saying, you must come, you must come. And in, these, in the movie, it's so beautiful. I don't know if you've seen it recently. But then suddenly this group of people are coming. And then he, all he does, he walks out of his little house and he joins them. And then he go, they make salt. And then somehow that strategic, timely, natural movement becomes the thing that somehow the empire realized that they must let India go to become itself again. And what if it's only each of us just have one big thing to do? Mm. And all the little things will build up to it. It's like that little, but thank you. I think manifesting and then maybe manifesting and then sow the seeds for what is good that needs to be recreated, refined, sustained, and evolved, that that wheel, that natural fractal wheel is given attention, love, care, and water. I'm going to ask a really basic question as I'm thinking about some folks who might be listening in and hearing Toka, you're obviously, well, you're obviously a master at this, right? I could, I mean, like as soon as you got on the screen, I could feel my own self more tuned into the life force, right? Like I can feel your cultivation of that practice. Hmm. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's obvious. And I'm wondering about the people who are listening, who are like, yes, I want, I want that. I want to get in tune with the life force. I want to be able to sense into flow and move with a group and see what's possible and plant seeds. Like they're saying, you know, I think it's almost like their minds are a yes, but their little animal bodies aren't quite sure how to do that. And I'm curious, like what simple practices I mean, and don't think they're too simple, but like if I'm a listener now thinking like, okay, I want some of that, where would I begin? What wisdom or guidance might you share? The first step is to realize, to recognize, to accept that you want it. Ah, hmm. uh, yeah. I'm hungry oh, for great. peace, you know. I that's want great. to love my wife and not fight about what fucking candles is plugged in where, you know. It's such a fine example, Tim, because these little things, you know, they. <laughs> yeah. Do you really want peace or do you just want to keep a definition of peace that this is something United Nations do mm. or, or now the EU, you know, they are trying to make Putin stop entering the Ukraine and who knows what the fuck is will happen with, with, if that takes place. We have seen that been played out in Europe for the last 3,000 years. It's still going on. It's not like it's not happening. But can I be so ridiculously honest to myself? I want to be experiencing peace. And imagine if it is so that peace and who you are is the same thing. Mm. So it's not something to invent. The life force is the constant in this universe. You connect yourself or you realize that you're already connected to it. So that, that is just to accept, not believe, just somewhere in our hearts, there is that hunger, that's that longing. Let it come out. You know? Second is find the practices. Now, I have a sitting practice 
that I've done for 45 years. I do it every morning. I prioritize it. Mm. So it's like, find your practice, prioritize it, do it every day. It could be a couple of things, but it, it won't come because you just want it. You know, practice is practice is practice is practice. Become a practitioner of practice. If you want to test what are the practices that work for you, take those that your heart will lead you to, test them out. And if they make you feel more conscious, stronger, regardless of what's going on in the world, that the heart just opens up. You know, you rule by simplicity. And even if there are many good practices, there are people who teach them, you know, you can, and some they just sit. I think what is it, you know, that many of your ancestors in North America, they, you know, they had good wisdom practice. Just sit. I know Tim is practicing that for many, even if before you started meditating, you know, mm. go sit up at the tree and listen to the sound of the tree. This is life flowing. There was a moment to this afternoon. We, we found a little path. We were both attracted to it. And we walked in and suddenly we were in the most gorgeous part of the forest. We couldn't hear, you know, the cars any longer. We couldn't hear any airplanes. It was just nature sounds. And Monica just turned around. She looked at me with this beautiful smile. And I just smiled back at her. And, and it was like, you know what Monica's and my work is now, what, what we are working on? What's that? To return to the big circle consciously. Just become one with it again. Or realize that we already want with it. Mm. Hmm. And I think maybe one last thing I would say, remember that whatever you practice, you will become good at it. That is a strategy. That's a knowing you can stand on. This is through the ages. This, this is real. It doesn't change because there's a war going on. It doesn't change because now we are 2021. These are the things to seek out. Those basic things. And then keep good company. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, of course, don't be afraid to be in service of your own heart because it will give you strength and then service to other people will flow naturally. Don't get lost in relationships with everybody else. Mm -hmm. Too easy. Or, you know, the fantastic relationship that so many people are practicing, being in relationship with problems. Mm -hmm. But thank you. I think, you know, that I think the beautiful thing about becoming a lover of life is that <laughs> it's built in. Look at you. You know, you both have kids. I don't know where, you know, it's since I've seen them. But the, like a kid, before they get completely confused by all the things going on in the world. <laughs> but in those first years, it's like they are there. They don't know that there's some, anything else but that kind of state of mind, but it's that. And so this, the beautiful thing is that everybody can experience this strength. I think that's one of the reasons I love, when I, you know, we would have this soccer club talk and I, I probably talk about it too much, but I love it. But I think that's one of the reasons I love coaching the four and five-year-olds and the five and six-year-olds. There's just something like completely unfiltered and genuine there. And like they regularly set me in my place, you know. They regularly remind me what's important. It's like every single week I get to go hang out with a bunch of four and five-year-olds and five and six-year-olds who remind me what matters, you know, and uh, it's remarkable. I'm going to bring us gently to a close as we get in here. And, and I'm really happy you brought Monica in because Monica was one of the, you know, we had both you and Monica on the call to prepare for this pod and, and she sent through a couple of things. And I'm just going to quote from Monica because she said in the email, in the lead up to the pod, she said, to breach topics like life force in a professional context can be touchy. And for some people feel like stepping out of the closet, even though it's more mainstream these days with mindfulness, et cetera, et cetera. Today, even more than 10 years ago, when we used to totally separate our work life and our private life. And I just think that's a lot of what we've been doing in this pod, in this conversation is like really trying to find that place where things I think for a long time we've considered highly personal actually are also about how we turn up and lead in the world. That that separation between how I manifest, right? How I lead and how I find my own clarity and my own space and my own inner journey, that those aren't two separate things. And I think we've just like constantly honed in on that on this call. And I hope that 
that feeds a conversation with our listeners, you know, both with themselves, but with the people around them, right? Mm -hmm. What incredible courage it takes to bring yourself as fully as you can into your professional context, to create the conditions for that to happen, not just for yourself, but for the others, so that we can discover things that we would never discover otherwise. If we purely relied on our brains, we're never going to solve the problems we're faced with. But maybe there are other sources that we could individually and collectively tap into that give us half a chance at scaling or tackling some of the problems we're faced with in the world right now. Choose anything you want to say before we ask Tolka for a recommendation for a person or maybe a poem, depending what he's got on hand. No, just grateful, Tolka. I think it's just wonderful to be with you and to learn from you more, you know, and um, just to be back in your presence. And and I, I know that a lot of our listeners know who you are. And so I think it's a real gift to them to be able to kind of hear you again. I was thinking, you know who I was thinking about? I was thinking about all those folks we trained in Minnesota together. Ah. And just like, there are just hundreds of those folks who kind of had this exposure and brief. And I, and I, you know, I think things are thriving there in a lot of ways. And in fact, Tim and I are going back to do a large project in Minnesota. And I don't doubt, I know, actually, I know one of the people we trained is one of the senior leaders. And so I just like, I'm just feeling grateful and happy and also kind of delighted for the folks to get to hear your voice out in the world a little bit again. So just thank you. Yeah. Hooray. It's been great for me to like hear messages like keep good company. I think I must've been 25 when I first heard you say that. And it made a fucking difference about who I chose to be with, you know, because I'd made some pretty bad choices earlier in my life about who I was in company with, you know? And so I just, you know, build capacity to build capacity to build capacity to build capacity. Thank you, mate. Not just for the pod, but for the journey. Ah, you're so welcome. You know that I think uh, Keith Jarrett now is is something with his hands he can't play any longer. Mm. Uh, the jazz piano player, but exquisite musician. And I was listening to his concert from Cologne in 1976. That is the most incredible piece of music. I just ordered that on vinyl. I just found it. Oh, that is amazing. It's so funny you mentioned that. I love that. He's interviewed. Uh, I saw an interview, uh, read an interview with him, and he asked, well, so how can you play like that? And he says, my job is to know the technique to move in the piano and then to let go. And then the music just begins to play. And, you know, to what you brought forth from Monica's little statement there, I never talk of the things that we have talked about in this call unless I'm asked from the heart. I'm not a spiritual man. I'm not a religious man. I'm just a little human being like everybody else. What I have experienced in my life and what I somehow hear myself sharing here and in other contexts, it just as I've learned from experience. Yes, it takes courage, but courage for what? What is simply, maybe it's just a simple decision. I want to know who I really am. You know, I was 16, this, this grandmother, my one of my friends says, what are you going to become in the world? Well, what are you going to study? What's your, and I said, grandma, I don't know. I don't know who I am. How can I make a decision of what I want to do? I'm, first, I must find out who I am. Then I can decide what I'm going to do with my life. And I think those kind of this decision is maybe it's not will I be spiritual or will I have an inner life or an outer life? It's basically, do you want to know who you are and enjoy the, the you know the life that we have been given for a little while, mm. and then being of service, helping makes things more beautiful and kinder and more loving. You can't help yourself. <laughs> it's like it's no obligation, but somehow you know. Giving flows from the heart. It's been wonderful. Thank you, guys. I think maybe one of my teachers is uh, Rumi, and I feel that I understand very well what the guy is talking about in his poetry. So maybe that would be my little offering of a quote. Love it. So he says, it's a longer poem. It's called Three Fish, if you want to dig more into it. It's not one of the so known. There's something in the chorus of this that just makes me come alive even more. So it says, if you're only wanting what the material world can give you, you are an employee. If you're just seeking the, your inner world, 
you are not living your truth, but you will be forgiven for forgetting, then what you really want is love's confusing joy. And to me, this is the most poetic, beautiful way of speaking of the yin-yang and the Tao. Mm. If you only want the, what the material world can give you, you are a slave. You become a slave of it. You become an employee. A little gentle shortcut to the material world. And if you're only seeking your inner world, then you become too spiritual. Now, it's you know only the inner world and the, everything can go to hell. But you will be forgiven for forgetting that what you really want is love's confusing joy. I think there is an, an understanding that has existed and exists everywhere, always. And it's our job to find it, live it, enjoy it, and then be, uh, be the best we can be. Thank you, Tolka. If you were to suggest, you know, one of the things we're doing this season is that after interviewing people, we asked them, you know, who might we invite onto the pod, you know, coming in season five. Season four is chock-a-block already with incredible human beings. And, uh, but, but, you know, we'll be reaching out in season five to bring folks in. And is there someone you think would be a good fit to invite into conversation with Chooser and I that we might otherwise not think of? Or maybe we would skip over because they're too obvious to us. <laughs> uh, well, there's several people, but one comes to mind also as a lead-off, I think, from our conversation is David Stevenson. Oh, cool idea. Most remarkable, simple human being, Canada. He is now on leave from the very important job in the Ministry for Indian Affairs in, in, um, in British Columbia. And for two or three years, he's been co-leading with one of his friends and her daughter, the, uh, the, the Moosehide Project, which is you know, creating awareness and awakening the Canadian men to stop raping and killing uh, indigenous women, which has been going on and been hiding for so many years. And it's also, uh, every once in a while, we do check in and he shares a little bit about how it's unfolding. It's like he has taken the, all the things he has learned in his life, including being a, a, an, actually a medicine person trained by the Shoshone and the Blackfoot medicine people but he didn't go that road fully because he couldn't have a family, and he has. But he has this depth to David that has brought him to the ability to do exactly what we've been talking about, to have that inner strength and that, that be in that serenity of life and then really do quite powerful work in a field where that has been longing for some love and some real shifting. And he said, you know, he had taken all the essences of what he knew already and what we learned together in the, in the art of hosting and brought it into that little project, which is now influencing millions of people in Canada. I love that, Toka. That's such a mm -hmm. great idea. I thank you so much. That is not someone I would have thought of, but I'm so interested in what he's up to. That's great. Thank you. And it's becoming a pattern now, you know, because, because it's, it's really... You know, so the project in itself would also be interesting to, to have him share because now, it, you know, situations from around the world are hearing about their approach because their approach is non-judgmental. And in an area like that for the crimes that has been committed, that takes a lot of courage and inner strength not to become judgmental with the people who have done it, but just love them and respect them and have them begin to stand for women rather than, than, than misusing them. Part of the reason I want to talk to him, and it's something we didn't get into, and Tim, I know we are over time and we have, to, we have to go, but part of the reason I would love to talk to him is because that real, it's not, I'm going to use the word pivot, but that's not exactly it. The pivot of taking these practices, which are so deep and grounded and can feel spiritual and inaccessible to folks into something that's very practical, right? That is right now people are being hurt. Right. And here's how we could do something different to actually make people's lives better. And that's actually Mike. I just, eh, I don't, I know we don't talk, but that's my experience. Toke. I was thinking the entire time you were talking, I had an Aikido experience with you, right? Which is Aikido, right? That we're doing this practice. And then I turned around within hours, I turned it around and dealt really well with someone who was harassing me. And it was like, oh my gosh, here's this practice that feels kind of, it's a martial art. 
right? It feels like it's kind of about all sorts of things. But here I am using it in a very practical way less than two hours later. And so that's the thing that I think it's like, I just want to help people see that all of this, it's kind of like you kind of get it and it feels great, but it's so practical and in the world and in ways that matter the most. There's just not a separation between these two things, what we are doing and what we are learning about being with the life force and our own sovereignty and our own connection has practical implications tomorrow. It changes what you do in the world tomorrow, right? And that's like so important. Maybe we'll put that in the introduction. Maybe we'll cut that out. Thank you. That's really, I know we are over time, but it's too too good to stop. But <laughs> so the combination of inner practice and Aikido for me has been such a gift. Mm. Mm. And you know, Aikido in Japanese, Aikido. Do means practice. Ki means life force. I means the experience of peace. Mm. So if I would have named it, I would have called it Dokiai because it's a journey. But imagine a very fierce, you can't defend yourself against somebody who, who knows Aikido well. But you never use Aikido until anybody attacks you. So you don't attack people. But it comes out of war, warriorship. Mm. And then determination of the guy who named it like that and brought it to that level was some level of understanding about life, that we need strength to practice peace. Mm as you need strength to practice war. And, and, and he made a choice. And those of us who have chosen Aikido for our practice, we have made that choice consciously. We want to learn how to practice peace in all things. Hmm. Thank you. Thank you, you too. <laughs> Thank you. Look, I'm getting texts from my wife and it's not about the lights. It's about needing to pick up Elliot from school. Oh. Look, that's what, that's. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Say love to her. Oh, I will. Yeah. I will. And all to the kids. Yeah. I hope we'll come visit. You will come visit. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And you too, Tuesday. Well, I was thinking Tim and I are going to try to get to Sweden next year. And wouldn't shouldn't we just like pop over? Yes. Do it. Yeah, come for a few days. Yeah. Yeah. Be in, uh, be, it looks like it might be in the beginning of May. So that would be brilliant. Love that. Mm-hmm.